Welcome to Nefarious New York. I'm Meredith. And I'm Allison. And we are doing a new episode today. That last one, well, I wasn't on the last one. That was Chris. Thank you, Chris. But we're not doing a three-parter today because that was... Yeah, I don't ever want to do that again. So tonight we're going to cover a case that touches on the LGBTQ community, but from a long time ago. So I just want to set the scene. Set the scene, yo. I'm going to set the scene. So this is the New York City ballroom scene, and I didn't even know this existed, but apparently it does. It was mostly African-American and Latino LGBTQ people. Now, back then, were they known as LGBTQ people? Probably I do not, not. Think, I think so. Acronyms are newer. I believe they are. And okay. um, when they refer, some of them refer to themselves in the story, they use much less politically correct today terms like queer, right. tranny. Okay. You know. uh, so what was this all about? The ballroom scene, right? A group of people get together, they form a house, and that's basically going to be a judgment-free surrogate family. And it has a house mother and or a house father. And they basically oversee and direct the group. So I feel like if we could pull this back to your sorority, did you have like a house person? Yes, we had a pledge mom. Right. So I think it's similar. And then you had big sisters. Right. And any sisters, obviously. If there's a big one, there's a little one. Mm -hmm. Sorry. And any kind of situation where you form a family outside of your own family kind of takes on the same dynamic, right? You need a leader or a mother or father. Right. So that's what happened here. And in keeping with the ballroom community tradition, members take the house name as their last name. Okay. So like I would be Allison Extravaganza. Mm. And then house members would compete or walk in balls in various categories, including representations of dance, fashion, costume design, runway modeling. So I watched a few of them and it would be military men and they'd have to come out and they'd be judged on how realistic they look Uh, or businessmen wall street woman kind of thing and you'd have to come out and you'd win trophies and it was kind of like bragging rights right it was a big deal apparently apparently yes so this particular one the house of extravaganza was founded in 1982 by hector valley a gay puerto rican man and he was known for his elegant and athletic style of voguing. Vogue, vogue, vogue. Hector did not belong to a ball house. So in the summer of 1982, he decided to create an all Latino ballroom house at a time when most were African-American. Which I find kind of strange because mm-hmm. it's a house that's not judging. And then you're excluding everybody by creating an all Latino ballroom house. But. Okay, so he built up the house and then he took on a woman named Angie as house mother. Right, and you're going to go further in a little bit of information and see that this particular house was not exclusive. Okay. Okay. I feel better. Good. So in early 1983, the House of Extravaganza made its first ballroom appearances. So although the House of Extravaganza started as only Latino... Here we go. It ultimately included African-American, Asian, and Caucasian members, although it did remain true to its roots as a primarily Latino ball house. But that's good in keeping with, you know, acceptance. They accepted all kinds. 
Now we're going to talk about Thomas Pelagotti. So Thomas Pelagotti was born on May 22nd, 1965 in Jersey City, New Jersey. His parents were Olga, who was Puerto Rican, and his father was John, who was an Italian-American. He had four brothers, Louis, Joseph, Frank, and John. And I've seen reported some places that he had a sister, Claire. But I see it some places and I don't see it in other places. Thomas took the name Venus in her early teens because, like I just said, her, Thomas is not going to be a good name for a woman. And Thomas Pelagotti is female, but born male. Right. Now I'm just going to call her Venus for this podcast. Right. That's she's that. no longer Thomas. She's Venus now. She's Venus. In the early 1980s, Venus moved to New York City to start her life fresh as Venus. So she's maybe not feeling 100% accepted and maybe turns to drugs and then runs away or leaves home. Kind of a makes, typical... Right. Makes sense. It's a typical story. Right. Of this time when she decided to leave home, she says, I was 13, 14 years old. I used to do it behind my family's back, just dressing up. But finally, they caught on with it. And I didn't want to embarrass them. So I moved away. I moved to New York and I continued to live it. Which it's not as common as it is now. I mean, it was not as common back then, was it? What? If it was, it wasn't talked about. It wasn't talked about. And maybe it was going on, but it wasn't as accepted right. as it is today. Correct. So Yeah, that must have been she probably really hard. resorted to the measures that you're going to basically, what you're going to talk about. Right. So she gets to New York City, and as you're alluding to, she was a prostitute to support herself. And uh, about this, she said, most of all the drag queens that are involved in the balls, most 90% of them are hustlers. I guess that's how they make their money, go to the balls and get whatever they need and stuff. I used to hustle in New York to make money. I was with a guy and he was playing with my, oh, frig. (laughs) With my titties. Thank you. Until he touched me down there. He felt it and he seen it and he like totally flipped out. Now I'm going to just. This is her telling the story. I know. So I'm going to say what he said. You fucking faggot. You're a freak. You're a victim of AIDS and you're trying to give me AIDS. What are you crazy? You're a homo and I ought to kill you. You know, stuff like that. And like, I was really terrified. So I just jumped out the window. I grabbed my bag and just jumped out the window. But see now, I don't like to hustle anymore. I don't. And I'm afraid of what's going on with the AIDS. I don't want to catch it. Which makes complete sense because in that the, that period of time in that early 80s, they did not know. They knew close to nothing about AIDS, HIV, how you got it. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very scary. And it was scary to grow up in that time. Oh, yeah, it was. It was terrifying. And so I can understand why people would be afraid. I can understand why this guy reacts the way he does. But I, I'm not saying he's right. On Venus's 15th birthday, Hector, the founder of the House of Extravaganza, took her to Greenwich Village, threw her a party and bought her a cake. So this was this was basically like her new family, right? right? So she started being an escort for some added safety. Right. So a little bit safer than just being out on the streets. Right. So she was saving money to pay for gender reassignment surgery. 
and she talked about being an escort, and I'm quoting her. Like, later on this evening, I'm going to meet someone, a friend of mine, a very good old friend of mine, a young, very good, attractive, handsome young man. And um, he's taking me out to dinner later on this evening or for some cocktails after midnight. I know he'll give me some money just for me to maybe get a pair of shoes or a nice dress so that the next time he sees me, he'll see me looking more and more beautiful the way that he wants to see me. But I don't have to go to bed with him or anything like that. So I guess here she's kind of justifying Mm -hmm. what she's doing. At times they do expect sexual favors, but that is between myself and them. And I do not wish to further speak about that. If they do, but at most times, 99% of the time, they don't. 95% of the time. But I feel like if you're a married woman in the suburbs, a regular woman is married to her husband and she wants him to buy her a washer and dryer set in order for him to buy that I'm sure she'd have to go to bed with him anyway to give him what he wants for her to get her what she wants. So in the long run, it all ends up the same way, which is it technically. So she's kind she's, of justifying. And it's and it's an interesting logic. It's not a mature. I think it's not really a mature way to think. I mean, that's not how the world works. I'm not like a prostitute for my husband. And, you know, if I want something, I go and I have sex with him if I want a couch. Right. Or, you know, a new pair of clothes. If I want a good meal, I might. But I don't know. (laughs) So in 1983, she's 18. And she took the name, the last name Extravaganza. So now she's Venus Extravaganza. And normally... You have to walk in a ball and win a trophy for a house to kind of take you on. So she talks about this and she says, They saw me and they all liked me, all the rest of the extravaganzas. And they decided, well, if you want to become an extravaganza, you have to walk a ball first. And if you snatch a trophy, then you become the extravaganza. That's how I'm supposed to work with everyone. But, uh, my daddy wasn't with me. I just became an extravaganza. Hector Extravaganza. He's the one who started the house. He was the first gay man I ever met. The first time he took me to the village, which was my birthday, I had just turned 15 years old. And he threw a party for me. Out there, he bought me a cake. I met a lot of drag queens, transvestites, that I didn't believe were because they were so beautiful. And that kind of sunk into my head. And I guess that's why it kind of made me want to even do it more. So I guess that was her first exposure right. to transvestites. Right. As well, she's, she's now them. seeing a more positive side to that lifestyle. And it's becoming even more attractive to her. Right. And now she's finding her family. Right. But as we said, when Hector was the house father and he took on Angie as the house mother, well, Hector died from uh, AIDS-related complications in 85. So Angie kind of just took over as the house mother solo. And she took on Venus as her mentee and drag daughter. Mm, okay. And so then in April of 1988, so this is a couple of years later, Venus now has a boyfriend, Rico. And he was a bisexual, gay-for-pay adult film actor and a cocaine addict. He is said to have forced Venus to escort a lot 
to afford more cocaine. After a drug deal gone wrong on April 22nd in Times Square, Rico was shot in the chest by an older African-American female drug dealer, tall and wearing a long brown coat. The two had a disagreement that escalated over Rico's coke being cut with baking soda. And Venus then hid behind a car after Rico warned her the talk could get ugly. So it's kind of weird because he's forcing her to escort and do other things. But at the that same are dangerous, time, dangerous, right? They're dangerous. But at the same time, he's protecting her. And she f- did feel protected by him. And she raced out to his side after he was shot and scaring off the drug dealer. And then she laid on Rico's chest as he bled to death right in the streets in right. Times Square. Which is bizarre to me thinking of Times Square now, but... Well, not necessarily. I mean, it was probably cold and dark. It was, you know, April 22nd. Late in, still, it's not that warm. I mean, it's, it's <clears throat> you know, it's cold. It's, it's dark. It's, and who knows if there was anybody around, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, it can happen. And their people that were out at that time were also probably engaging in similar behaviors. Right. right? So, they're, so not, they're not so willing to run and help, help and get caught. And, you know, but Rico's death did leave Venus feeling helpless as he had saved her from a potential fight in Times Square years earlier. So she did feel that he was her protector. Right. So all of the quotes that I have from Venus that we've talked about here are from a documentary on the ballroom scene called Paris is Burning. And I watched it. It's actually really interesting Mm. if you want to kind of get a sense more of what it was like, because it's pretty crazy. But so in this, Venus said about her future. I want to get married in church in white. I want to be a complete woman. And I want to be a professional model behind cameras in a high fashion world. I want this. This is what I want. And I'm going to go for it. Simple desires. Because it's simple. Right. You know, a nice home, car, a man, a white dress. A wedding. So unfortunately, after Rico's death, Venus is said to have started to heavily use cocaine. You know, she's got a lot to deal with. Yeah. So eight months later, on December 21st, 1988, at her escort service, she had a madam who made all the appointments, and she set up a call for Venus for early that day. So I'm thinking, you know, one, two in the morning. Mm -hmm. To me, early that day means 9 a.m., but in the context of this story... It, right. It means the wee hours of the morning. So Venus ended up at a New York City hotel. We're not exactly sure what for. You know, it was for a John meeting set up by the madam, but it's speculated that it could have been a drug deal or sex and drugs or who knows. But she was supposed to meet a family friend for brunch later, but never showed up. Four days later, a housekeeper found her body stuffed under a bed. So like I said, we don't know. Maybe she was caught stealing money from the John because she had gotten pretty... This is a housekeeper in the... Hotel. So she could have been caught stealing money or a drug deal gone bad or some speculated that it was because she was trans. So like the situation she was talking about 
I mean, there's no way to know. There's no way to know. There's Um, a lot of different scenarios that it could be. There's no way to know. And the murder of Venus extravaganza does remain unsolved. And I'm sure that they probably didn't pursue pursue it. it. So there is another quote from the movie. The last quote that I have here, and I don't think there's any way you would understand Angie, the house mother. Uh, So I'm going to just read her quote. She said, I always said to her, her Venus, you take too many chances. You're too wild with people in the streets. Something's going to happen to you. But that was Venus. She always took a chance. She always went into a stranger's car. She always did what she wanted. I had a booking for a Christmas show at Sally's and the DTs came to me with a picture of her murdered and they were about to cremate her because nobody had come to verify the body. And I was the one who had to give all this information to her family, like they found her dead after four days, strangled under a bed in a sleazy hotel in New York City. We used to get dressed together, call each other and say what we were going to wear. And you know, she was like my right hand as far as I'm concerned. I miss her, you know, anytime I go anywhere, I miss her. That was the main, the main daughter of my house, in other words. But that's part of life. That's part of being transsexual in New York City and surviving. It's a very dangerous road. And, and not just being transsexual, but just being in that kind of a nightlife mm-hmm. in the, the clubs and the drugs and all of that. Now put being transgender or transsexual on top of that right. just adds a whole new layer of danger in there. And Venus was determined to, I guess, do what she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And she was young and yeah, she maybe was only naive. 23, only 23 when yeah. she died. Um, and I think it's sad, though, that she only got to live 10 years as Venus yeah. here in the city. Yeah. I say here because we're in New York. Right. But in New York City. Right. That's all she got to be like her true self. And not necess- and not even... Because it's not like she had the reassignment surgery. so And she, not even because... So she did still have a relationship with her family. And she would go and babysit for her nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing that her brother, I believe, asked her to do was just not come over totally glammed out. You know, just throw on sweatpants and a t-shirt. And she would do that to come spend time with her family. So there was right. still a connection there. So, yeah, I mean, not four days is a long time for no one to notice she's gone, but there's no cell phones. It's not like they're checking in. Right. But you also have to look at God. I remember being in college and, you know, going out to clubs and going out to places. I mean, there were times I didn't talk to my parents for a, a week. What? Oh, maybe in college. In college, yeah. Not high school, but in college. I mean, I, you know, even though I went around here, I moved out for a little while and my mom just kind of, dad gave me the freedom because you are, 
You want so much to have your independence when you're that young, when you're in your 20s and you just want to be yourself. Now, here she is in New York City. She's allowed to be herself. So I can understand why maybe, you know. They don't talk on a regular basis. Yeah, I would think she would talk to Angie more than she right. would talk to her family because that was really her primary I know, family. I'm wondering why four days went by and nobody in that family, in the extravaganza family, nobody... Uh, th- I'm more concerned about that than I would be about her, her actual family. Her biological family. Her biological yeah. family, yeah. Yeah. That's strange to me. Right. Well, they never solved it, so we will never know any of this. So this one more was not such a crazy crime. It was more just kind of interesting story, I thought, or an interesting person. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, when you look at the documentaries and you look at the, you know, from that time, it was probably a really fun, exciting time as well. Yeah. So we're moving in on CrimeCon. Moving in on CrimeCon. And I'm excited. And we're not talking about it. Well, we have to soon. Next time. What else? Anything else? Oh, our article is coming out. They reached out to me for more pictures of us younger. Oh, my God. So I sent the softball one that my dad gave me. <laughs> That's exciting. So that'll Very be Very exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll post it. All right. So we'll be back next time. All right. You want to sing us out? Nefarious New York. Extravaganza. <laughs> Do you want to tap dance? It keeps falling off. Things look swell. Things look great. Gonna have the whole world on a plate. Starting here. Starting now. Like a Honey, everything's coming up. Rosies. That was right. my Spanish version. Very good. Just to bring um, us into the Venus oh. extravaganza. Now we're going to talk about Thomas Pelagotti. I always make a question out of a name. So at around 13 years old, Venus started using some weed, smoking some pot, and taking some acid. <laughs> smoking smoking a, a blunt, y'all. Either Why I think you should probably... Why are you laughing at me? I'm, making, I'm laughing at my titties. <coughs> I just happen to see it on the page You know again. why? It always reminds me... So we were talking about this today or the other day at work, like in the car, like different names for boobs. And I was like, I hate the word titties. I hate, I can't say it. I go, but I always think of Allison because of Sandra Bullock and went and hope floats. And we all know what's her face. Got her a new pair of titties. (laughs) And because you look like Sandra Bullock and remind me of Sandra Bullock. I always picture that word. And moist. Moist gets me too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Panties. I'm not a fan of. But anyway. Mm, And Carla got hers. We all know that Carla got herself a new set of titties. (laughs) 